0: Okay, so if you're sitting in the church, that's what I wanted to say to you. You are radical. (laughs) You are following Jesus, at least in this way. Not that coming to church will make you a Christian, but just coming to church actually represents something. It's saying that you are valuing this because it's actually a dangerous place. You might get infected with COVID-19, for instance. So therefore, please wear your mask. It's important. But it's radical in the sense that we're coming together and we're understanding that we need input from the Word of the Lord to actually keep us on the straight and narrow. You need that. So one of the things that I'm so glad for, the way that I got brought up, is that I was forced to go to church every Sunday because my dad was a duemini. So I had to go and sit there. And for me, church was, back then, I'm allowed to say this, very, very boring. It was very exciting when you get to play in the church on Saturdays, And I once even threw out a window, and there was a wedding, and I got into trouble for that. But we had the keys to the church. That was exciting. But sitting on a church on Sunday was really boring for me. But what I'm thankful for is just that discipline of sitting under the Word every Sunday. And when when I really got filled with the Holy Spirit at varsity, I realized that all those teachings, just sitting there, Hearing my dad speak, understanding that what he is speaking is also living, because that's what my dad did very well. He's a man of integrity. He spoke the truth on a Sunday, sometimes really got excited about stuff in the Bible, and then he lived it out. That was still in me, and somehow those seeds started germinating with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So give yourself a hand saying, Hey, I'm radical. I'm coming to church. And if, you, if you're thinking of what's going to happen if you want to really plan and and build this nation, think of what what are the disciplines, what are the things that you need to get in place now that your kids will follow? Because they will not necessarily do what you tell them to do, but they will do what you model. It's like you can teach measles like the heart in whatever way you want, but, but if you have COVID-19, he's going to get COVID-19 instead of measles. You get that analogy. So what you have, what you, we are, what you're modeling, this is what you're going to give, not what you necessarily teach. So if, you, if you're thinking, some of you are not only thinking of getting kids, you're thinking, I need a husband, I need a wife first. That's a great idea. Get the husband, get the wife first, and then the kids. That's how it works. But think of how can you prepare yourself How can you now put in the right things in place so that you will be a good wife, so you could be a good husband, and that your kids will say, hey, I have a father or a mother that's modeling Christianity. And I know one of the things that will keep my kids sane one day is to be slotted into a church. If they go to Varsity, uh, I've been there. It's freedom with no responsibility. I want them to go on the first couple of Sundays, and then you go and check out the churches, and then you're going to find a church where they see people believing and worshiping Jesus. And I know if they do that, they will do very well. And, and the same for you. is If you go from George, or if you may be visiting us, please go to your hometown, and then go and find a church, and slot in there, and go, and go the extra mile. Whatever courses they're representing... Presenting, go and do them so that you can get involved and you get slotted in and you work on that discipline to do it every week, week in and week out. And like I said in the beginning, it's not going to make you a Christian, but it's going to help you to build your faith. And hopefully, there will be a couple of altar calls where you're going to respond and there will be certain things in your life will be addressed and therefore you will change because God can change, not the church, but God can change you. Amen. Great. It's nice having my son's mom in the house because she says amen. Okay, take a leaf from her, a sheet from her book, and then say amen to everything I say. Thank you, Donet. I love you. Okay, so um, we're going we're gonna to carry on with Colossians. I think Luke did a splendid job last week of starting with Colossians. So I want you to open your Bibles. If you're opening your Bible on your app, you can go and look at the ESV translations, Colossians 2. ESV, the reason why I use that, it's the English Standard Version, because it's quite a good Bible translation to study the Word. So you can use the NRSV, or if you're Marsant, you can use the NASB. It's a New American Standard Bible. Um, the NIV is a good, good one to read. And then all the other d- translations also sometimes good to read and they're not, they're not bad. All the translations have something to add because um, it was not written in English or in Afrikaans. Like some people still think Polis was Afrikaans, but he wasn't. He was actually Hebrew, but he wrote in, in Greek. Okay. So um, I'm just going to summarize what Luke said in, in terms of his, int- his intro. I actually just stole his slide and put it into my slides because I think it was really good. So this the context here is is Paul, and he's writing to a congregation that he didn't plant. So there was a guy, Epaphras, that planted this church in Colossa. So um, according to tradition, he got saved in Ephesus. If you read in Acts 19, you see that Paul went to Ephesus. There he laid hands on the people. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then somebody whose name is Epaphras, then went to Colossae, and he planted this church. So now Paul is addressing a couple of issues in this community. One is the issue of Jewish religion, where people got really technical about what people should do and shouldn't do. And on the other hand, this community was hard-pressed by people caught in idolatry, which is paganism, and what they call uh, elementary teaching or the spiritual teachings of the day. So Paul is addressing this, and the reason why Colossians is a great book to read for theology is because he is writing to this congregation that he has never visited. So if I've never visited Luke, Luke don't know me from a bar of soap, and I'm trying to tell him about my wife, I'm going to give him all the detail of my wife, because I don't, I don't. He doesn't have a context. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know the nuances of my wife, or even the way that I communicate. I'm going to be. Try, I'm going. I'm going to try and be as clear as possible about what I believe and who my wife is. But if I knew, if I know Luke, I can just go, "Hey, Cornell," and he would think of a girl who runs 60 kilometers in the mountains. Okay, he would just know that. But but that's why Paul is just giving them the the essence of the gospel. So it's a great book to study in terms of, of theology. Great. Awesome. So and last week, Luke introduced me to a great English word, and it's in Colossians 1.18, and this is what it says, or where Paul's speaking and he's saying this about Jesus, that in everything He might be preeminent. Who if you know what preeminence means? Okay, so eminence comes from the English word, and it comes from where people would say there's a natural elevation. So that the, the natural little hill there, it had eminence with, within context of the surroundings. So it was elevated naturally. So now when Paul is saying that Jesus is the preeminent one, He's saying that he is elevated high and above everything else. So he is the ultimate authority. So the English Dictionary defines it to be the fact of surpassing all others. And that is the bottom line of, of Paul's argument in his letter to the Colossians. He's saying, you know, all these other stuff, they're telling you about hey, worshiping angels and keeping the Sabbath meal and doing all of this and follow this regulation, all of this, nothing compares to the preeminent one, which is Jesus Christ. He is far above, elevated above all these other things. So keep that in mind. So that's the one statement that Paul is constantly driving when he speaks to the church in Colossae. And then the other statement that he makes with this is he says that we as Christians are in him okay so this is the scary thought for christians is that if jesus is the preeminent one he carries ultimate authority he's the superior one when it comes to all of the universe and we are in him then we also are operating from this level of authority you are in jesus and when we say that we have died with Jesus and we no longer live, but He lives through us, then we also have preeminence. Again, this preeminence to be elevated above everything else is not so that you can be arrogant, not so that you can start a social media influence campaign and put, all, put it all over, over the internet. No, it's so that you can actually advance God's kingdom and be a servant that, in the way that Jesus modeled it to be, so that you can change the world. I loved, Walt and I had a conversation the other day and he said, "Oh, I think what we should teach parents is that they must ask their kids when they are trick, to pray and say, Lord, what should I go and do after varsity to actually change the world? What should I go and do after varsity? Not most of your parents would say, hey, go for a doctor, go for an accountant, maybe go and do this. Why? Because you will make money. But that is not the Christian way of doing things. Yes, money is important, by the way. And God uses, Jesus often refers to money because He's trying to teach us about stewardship and about servanthood and about how He wants us to use use money well so that He can trust us. Because it's a way of showing Him that He can trust us. If you're faithful in the little, if you're faithful with mammon, with what God has given you, then you can be entrusted with much. But what we should be able to do is to say, Hey, Lord, what are you calling me to? And how can I use whatever you have given me? And how can I actually take this skill set and and ask other people to develop it, whether it's at university or college or go overseas or YWAM or whatever it might be? How can I develop this thing that you have given me so that I can change the world? So that I can use this preeminence that I have in Jesus Christ to advance his kingdom, not for me. Not to have my name up on a billboard. If that happens, great. But you know what? That is the most difficult place to be. If you have everything, if you have fame, ask the people that are famous. We have a friend who played in many of records movies, and we invited her to come and preach here, Simon nordman And we just we were just walking around with her, and it was so funny. People refer to her, call her out on her, on her names that she had, the character names in the different movies and series. And she, I'm like, hey, Simon, does this happen all the time? She says, yes. People would get mad at me if, if there was, a, if there's, for instance, the Joni character would be uh, mad at a, a mom, then a lady would come in a shopping mall and tell her, hey, listen here, Joni, how can you do that to your mom? As if it's so real. So the point I wanted to make is if you're there, because ultimately if you're going to serve, if you're going to serve others with the power of of what God is giving you, you will ultimately end up at a place of authority and of influence. That's just how it happens. That's what Jesus said. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. But then when you're there, you need to keep on serving because it's a really difficult place to be. If everybody starts saying, hey, well done, You're, you're amazing look at your hair, wow, you're such a cloak, look at your family, wow, amazing, difficult place to be, it's a big responsibility, okay, so two statements, Jesus, Paul's saying, Jesus is the preeminent one, and then he's making the statement that we are in him, it's more than 10 times that Paul is using that we are in Christ, that we are in him in this specific book, okay, so open your Bibles. Colossians 2, and we're going to read from verse 1, ESV translation. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea was just a town close to Colossae. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Great statement there, right in the beginning. He's saying, all of these things, it is in Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in the body, sorry, for though I'm absent in body yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up and build up in him and established in faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So what Paul is saying here is talking about philosophy. Philosophy is a good thing. It talks about the the, the desire to have wisdom. So if you're studying philosophy, if you want to study philosophy, it's not a bad thing. There's good in that. But he's talking about philosophy that's absent of God. The psalm, uh, the psalm poet says that only the fool says there's no God. So that kind of philosophy, there's no room for that in Christianity. And then he talks about the element, elementary, um, elemental spirits. And the word they're used for that elemental spirits is the word stochaya. And actually refers to paganism teaching. So he says, don't be distracted. Don't be misled by these teachings, this philosophy that's without God and these teachings on paganism and paganism is where where they worship demons basically if you take it further but we also in our world we have paganism so the worship of of sexuality the worship of our bodies the the worship of of um, for instance new age uh, religions and stuff that so infiltrated our community that all of that is also paganism. So, Paul's saying, Hey, don't be, don't allow these things to distract you from the core of Christianity. Great. And then, verse 9 For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. So, often these teachings of the world, these elemental spirits, philosophy, it had to do with bringing godliness into you, then Paul says, no, in Christ you've already been filled with deity, with godliness, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So he's making a statement that in him, where Jesus have all rule and authority, and then he goes on to use Jewish language. So Jewish language, circumcision. You all know what that is. Men aren't we glad. Do you know what circumcision is? Men, do you know? Okay, I'll give you five seconds. You can go and Google it. Okay. But it's something that we're so glad for that we are not living in the Jewish tradition, or we're not living in the Old Covenant anymore. So he's saying that there is a circumcision that was not done by hands to you. So he's speaking to the church, and that circumcision is what we call baptism. So circumcision in the Old Testament, it was it happened eighth day after the baby was born into the Jewish culture. So the Israelite. A nation had a covenant with the Lord. And when you get born into this nation, you had to receive the sign of the old covenant. And the the sign of the old covenant was circumcision. So then everybody knew you are now a Jew. Now in the new covenant, we fortunately have a new dispensation. There's a new sign. So now we get born again into a new spiritual nation. And God has a covenant with this new spiritual nation. And this nation is called the church. So the moment you get born again, you need to receive the sign of the new covenant. And the sign of the new covenant is baptism. So in in Old Testament times, it was a physical thing that was done to you. In the New Testament times, it's a spiritual thing that happens in your spirit, once you get baptized, that thing that you committed to when you said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, now that gets sealed in the waters of baptism. That's why we do it every end of the month, every Sunday, last Sunday of the month, because it's the sign of the new covenant. It's the sign of the church that we get baptized. And it's beautiful how he explains it. He says, Not only that we died with Jesus, because now remember Paul is trying to convey to the church in Colossae that we are in Christ, because we are living with Him, we are in His victory, we are ruling and reigning with Him, we have preeminence with Him, so he says this is what baptism did to you, it placed you into His death, and His death, it represents that all of the things that He died for, that's now... Appropriated uh, through faith into your life, also. In other words, if Jesus did, Jesus die for shame? Yes. Did Jesus die die for your sins? Yes. Did Jesus die for your healing? Yes. So all of that is now yours in Jesus. So in His death, so that 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 shame, the guilt, the sin is taken away. It's a beautiful picture there, and then we get pulled out, out of the waters of baptism, and then we get, we get put into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that is where the preeminence comes from. It's not only that Jesus is taking away something, He's not only taking away your sin, but He's also giving you something. He's giving you authority. And then He, then he goes on, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh." And you were made alive together. So think of being raised out of the water um, of bapt- when you got baptized with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. So now, who have you've been in debt? Okay? Who of you've seen that Hey, that that account that came to even this afternoon just before I came somebody sent me hey amo you still need to pay for your for your son's tennis lessons and i know i've already paid them but I've, i almost felt like guilty like hey there's a legal demand on my money i still owe people something and that's what the devil does if you don't understand that you're in christ he's like hey you remember that pornography that you watch you ne- you remember what you did to that girl you remember what happened when you were young. You remember those things that you still haven't paid. You remember the lie that you told. You remember the way that you got angry at that person. That is the devil's voice. And he's claiming that you have a debt and you need to repay that debt. And he's telling you the only way that you can repay the debt is to follow him and to obey him and to perform yourself out of this position of debt. But that's not how Christianity works. Christianity says... There is a debt, there is a legal demand on your life for this specific thing. Because you have done this. If you have disobeyed the law of the Lord, then there is a legal demand on that. And the devil has access to your life. But now you have to close that legal demand. You have to show him, hey, it's paid for. And how do you do that? It's first a decision where you commit your life to Jesus and say, hey, Lord, I cannot save myself. Hey, Lord, I cannot pay this debt. I've done too many things wrong. It's like John Newton that wrote the song Amazing Grace. The reason why I wrote that song is because he was the owner of a slave ship. And he felt so guilty for all the things that he has done as the owner of the slave ship. And he was actually blind while he wrote the song. And you know how the lyrics go. I was, once I was blind, but now I see. What happened? He understood that Jesus paid for his sin. Jesus paid the debt. Can you see? So it's Jesus did everything and we are in him. And that's what Paul is trying to convey to us. that We need to take that on. And the next verse, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, and we're going to focus on that at the end. Let's go on. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but this, sorry, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what he is saying is there are some people saying, hey, you must do this festival. So in terms of the pagan religions, you need to worship the moon or go to this festival or And then there's the Jewish people that say, hey, you need to go and do the Sabbath. And he's not referring to the the idea that once a week you rest. He's saying, hey, those people that tell you can only be a Christian if you do the Sabbath in this way, those people are distracting you from the true essence of Christianity, and that is just to have a relationship with Jesus. That That is where it starts. Yes, if you want to do the Sabbath meal with your with your family and friends on a Friday, go for it. But you cannot put any demands on any other people to do it. Because the the goal is not to become Jewish as a Christian. The goal is to actually get the Jews and make them Christians by teaching them the gospel of Jesus. So don't fall for the trap of trying to be so technical in everything that you're doing in your Christianity. It's a relationship. It's in Christ. Let no one disqualify you in ins- insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, pulled up, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grow, grows with a growth that is from God. So don't go into all this detail about how you need to be so holy. I said this is a means that you are setting yourself apart and you're doing stuff to your body and you are on your own and now you're getting these high-level visions and this is great and therefore everybody else must be like be like that. And now you are so holy. So God's just, Jesus is saying, hey, if you get these dreams, hey, if you've seen angels, hey, if you have discernment, hey, if you have a revelation about a specific teaching, that is a sideshow, and some of those things are really important, and some, some of the things are, are great in the kingdom of God. If you come to me and you ask me, hey, Amu, tell me about some of the detail about the deliverance ministry, which I have a lot of experience in, I can tell you all the different demons and all the weird and wonderful things that they do, but that's not, that's not the gospel The core of the gospel, that is side things that I had to learn in order to be more effective in the ministry that God has called me to. And I'm not going to look down on you because you didn't know that an incubus spirit is a spirit that comes at night and attacks people and wanting to make them have sexual dreams. I'm not going to judge you on that. But it's good to know. You hear what I'm saying? So don't allow for all these technicalities to make your Christianity... um, So complicated, because it's really simple, because you're in in Him. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, the stochaya, in other words, the worship of pagan gods, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and traditions. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So again, just Paul is saying, the only way that you're going to stop the flesh inside of you The only way that you're going to be able to crucify these desires that often goes against what God has for your life is when you commit yourself to Jesus, when you surrender yourself to Jesus, and you walk out this process of sanctification in relationship with God. And there's often when when we come to charismatic Christianity, there's a lot of rules that people put on you. And some of those rules are for people that people... Uh, put on you is for themselves for instance I know that God told me that I must be really aware that I don't get addicted to coffee caffeine so for the last couple of months now I've tried to limit my intake in coffee even fasting coffee every now and then because I love coffee it's great my wife and I something we do every morning we drink coffee together it's great I love it but I know God has told me hey Alma just watch out it might become an addiction. And for you, it's going to be something else. There in the Bible, there's something that we call a Nazareth vow. A Nazareth vow is when you, when you vow never to drink alcohol at all. But it's not for everybody. We see that Jesus made water into wine. But if God called you to never drink alcohol, then never drink alcohol. But just don't force it on other people. If God told you to, to never, for instance, uh, Never run in the mountains. Then do it, but don't make it a religion. We're so good at making stuff a religion. The sideshows must stay a sideshow. Amen. Great. Okay, so let's go back to Colossians 2 verse 15. And this is where I want to end, and we're going to go into worship after this. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this again. He disarmed the rulers. So this is Jesus, the one that you are now in because of your commitment to him. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So who are these rulers and authorities? It is the demonic forces, demons, that are operating within our world that's trying to deceive us, trying to get us away from what is right in the Lord's eyes. And these these things have influence influence over nations, over cities, over families, and they do influence you. By the way, there's authorities and principalities and powers that are not of the Lord that's trying to get this town, George, or the Southern Cape, or the nation, and get it into chaos because they know then they can start deceiving people and getting them away from Jesus. So this is what Paul's saying. He's saying he disarmed. So in other words, their power was taken away. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And the picture that Paul actually had of this, or he was painting to the church, was the picture of the triumphal procession of the Romans. Just the next slide. So there's a picture of a, so it would be a general, a Roman general. They would go and have make war with a the nation. They would conquer the nation. And then they would come back and then they will have this parade where they parade the gold and the slaves and the and the wives and the women and all the stuff they got the spoils they got from this war and they would parade it so that everybody could see that Rome is strong the Roman nation is strong and they have have elevated they are stronger than these nations that they have fought so now Paul's saying with this in mind, the cultural context, he's saying this is what Jesus did. All those things that you are struggling with, all those forces that are against you, all of those things were put to open shame by Jesus' triumphal procession to the cross, through the cross, through the grave, in His resurrection. And he's saying He has put all of that to open shame. It's already done, by the way. It's already done. But now what we should do is, in in faith, we should walk in that victory. So think of the things that Jesus died for. He died, yes, obviously for your sin. He died for your shame. He died for your guilt. He died for your debt. But He also died for the social evils of our time. He died for poverty. He died for broken dysfunctional families. He died for broken marriages. He died for abuse towards children he died for abortion he died for homosexuality. he died for all of those things and he is literally leading the way and showing it off into the spiritual realm and saying hey I've died for all of this my church must just claim their inheritance my church must just come and claim their spoils but we are so passive we don't claim it that's why Starting tonight, 12 o'clock, we're going to fast. I know Luke said you must fast water, but just put some faith out there and maybe just fast coffee. Or maybe fast social media or maybe fast your boyfriend or maybe whatever. Fast fast meat or fast sugar. Just give something to the Lord, something that He can work with. And you say, hey, because what I want to do, I want to partake in this triumphal procession of Jesus showcasing to the world, hey, that I've made it, I've already done it, I've already accomplished this victory. And then six o'clock on Wednesday, you come together, even if you've only fasted coffee, and then we're going to break the bread together, we're going to have communion, and we're going to say, we are the church that Jesus spoke of when he said, not even the gates of Hades, in other words, the strongest force, in this world, can stand against this church. And then on Saturday, we're going to take a worship team on a, on a truck and everybody's going to say, wow, it's amazing. There are songs that I've heard on the radio. now. I can worship on the streets. But it's so much more powerful than that. It's actually just doing that. Behind the truck, in your spiritual eye, you should see, wow, there goes poverty. There goes debt. There goes... Hurt and pain, there goes abuse, there goes abortion, there goes all this social ills of this world. And we're going to say, hey, and now we're going to open our ears. We're going to hear what the Lord's saying. We're going to say, hey, okay, Lord, so now we've seen your victory. We're going to start living out your victory, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your friendship group, whether it's in that school where my kid goes to, which is a Christian school, and only five kids in a class go to church. I'm just going to bring all those kids to church or whatever and give them Bible studies every Wednesday. Whatever you want to do, if you hear from the Lord, just go and do it. But the victory is already yours. It's already ours. But we... Oh, it's, 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 I love it. Thanks to you get you're getting psyched up. I'm also getting psyched up. But you need to claim this. We can't just clap hands in church on a Sunday. It is ours. It is ours. Okay, so we're going to watch a, a video. It's of a guy called John Ramirez. He is a, was involved in the occult, and then Satan would give him, give him assignments, and he would leave his body, which we call astral projection. Some of you have heard of that. And that's, that's real, by the way. It happens. And then he would fly around over regions and neighborhoods, and he would curse them. So, and by the way, it also happens in George. There's a, a, somebody that I know that has done this. He has gotten saved, and he said he would go up uh, close to Heatherlands, and then he and his mentor would fly around over George, and they would curse Curse George, those things happen. You can also ask Net; She's also dealing with a lot of those things. And, but, but here, so that's the devil's power, but hear what he's saying about the church's power. Okay. So he's, he's going and he has lots of power, because I don't, I don't know if people that can do actually do that, but the, you obviously must have be into very dark forces to actually be able to do that. But then he comes to a place and there are Christians just praying. And he can't do anything. So to, to pray is so powerful. And there is a little bit of urgency to this. Because yesterday we, we went out, a couple of our intercession people, and we went out to all the different areas. And we just, we just prayed and we trusted that God's going to open up George for, for the kingdom to advance. And the, so it was great. But for me, the sad thing is that there are very few young people, well, most, most of you are young people, that actually take this seriously. The call to intercede. The call to prayer walk. When I, whenever we do intercession or we talk about intercession or prayer, it's often the older Tanis that say, Yes, almost is da, us, yes, it is a kerk it is true I know that i'm a, i'm I'm a, I'm a result and everything and I'm so indebted to my my grandma's but also my grandfathers who prayed. I know the prayer of a, of a tani a tani but it's powerful powerful, but we all and some people will have affinity for that and they would. They even have a gift, and God will empower them to do it. But all of us need to pray. You, you need to engage in this. So for, for this fasting, please just come join us. And you, even if you, the most nominal Christian, maybe just the service already completely freaked you out, you take somebody's hand this week for five seconds, and you just say this, Lord, myself and Luke, we are standing here and we're just declaring that you are Lord over George. Just that. Or not even over George. You can just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Lord over this messy two-bedroom flat in the name of Jesus. You just stop there. It's powerful. Or messy. Lord, I'm taking my sibling, my my sister, yeah. Lord, she's not allowed in my room, but I know I pray in the name of Jesus over this messy room. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this room. It's powerful. My my dad, one of my cousins, had some demonic influence in life, actually manifested wildly and a crazy story how God's now using her in that specific area. But uh uh she had an ordeal at night, demons came in and visited her and She had nightmares and stuff, and uh, so my uncle phoned my dad, and he said, hey, Andre, you know, I'm not used to this kind of stuff. I've never seen it. It's just so weird for me. What should I do? My dad said, hey, it's very, it might seem very weird, but this is what you need to do. Go into a room. You're the dad. You're the authority in this house, and take some anointing oil, and you just anoint the room. The power is not in the anointing, and the power is in the prayer, but just we see in scripture that anointing oil is powerful. So you just anoint the room and just pray a blessing over her and then you go. Just doesn't have to be long. Just a couple of minutes and you do that. Next morning he phones He says, she slept through. There was nothing that happened that night. So the power of prayer and the power of bringing people together to pray. I would love to see our youth going out. Not only coming into the building on the Fridays but then going out in the streets on a Saturday morning, just praying or on a Wednesday or whenever they walk to school, just say, hey, Lord, this street, I'm not claiming for Jesus. And then as you do it, then start hearing, Lord, what are you saying about this territory that I'm occupying? Maybe God's speaking to you and giving you wisdom for your business or wisdom for your school or wisdom for the relationships that you're in. But let's be more of those people. Let's irritate the John Ramirez's. That's astral projecting into our territory and thinking, oh, there's some Christians. I'm not going to do anything here. Why not? Why not? Can we be that church? Okay, I want us to stand. So we're going we're gonna to go into worship, but we're first going to pray, okay? Okay. Now, hopefully, by now, you already know that prayer is more powerful than you thought it to be. Is that true? Okay, great. So, in one of the other interviews that he had with with another lady, it was just too long, so I didn't choose that one. He said he could see the words, when, when they were standing in that group praying, he could see the words of the Christians being powerful. So, you have to use your words. You have to use your mouth. Some people say, no, my prayer... It's a personal thing, Amal. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to commune with the Lord personally. And that's powerful. That's, that's where it starts. That's being in Jesus. But then you're missing the second part. You're in Jesus, but also He gives you authority to do stuff. I've often been confronted by demons, and then demons would charge would tell me something of, and say, hey, I'm not going to go out. And then I can't think in the name of Jesus you must go out. I must say it. I just look the demon in the eye and say, "Hey, demon in the name of Jesus, you're gonna go out of Luke right now." And then it will leave. So you have to use your mouth. Don't be so afraid to use your mouth. I've often had people coming to church and they they accomplished businessmen, and then you are in a in a circle you'd say, "Hey, listen, yeah, hey, you just pray." No, I can't pray. I can't pray. It's too intimidating. You know why it's intimidating? Because the devil wants you to be intimidated. Because he knows the moment you open your mouth in a prayer, he's going to have to flee. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I want you to close your eyes, and you're just going to think of what Jesus did on the cross. Just let your thoughts go there. Think of him conquering the devil on the cross. Think of him not staying there in hell, not staying and, and dying, but actually resurrecting, being raised from no more death, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now, out loud, so you need to whisper it, you need to use your mouth. You're just going to say, thank you, Jesus, for these things. You've now already thought of these things, you're just going to say out loud. Remember that for your your sphere of influence, what you're doing now, the demons that are sent against you, have assignment against you, they're going to hear this. They're going to be very afraid. Don't be afraid of them. They are weak. If you're in Jesus, they are weak. They're small. Just in your own words, just start saying thank you, Jesus, for victory over, over sin in my family's life or your business life or whatever it might be. Just whisper it out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for, for covering with the blood of Jesus my kids. Thank you for my wife, Lord. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that you love us, Jesus. Thank you have taken away shame, Lord. Thank you that there's no legal demand that the devil has on us. Thank you, Jesus, for cancelling death, cancelling death, cancelling death. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So now we're going to go into even more of a mature prayer. So now we've prayed for our families. We've prayed for ourselves. We're going to now pray for for our city. You're going to pray for George. George. Whatever you see in George that you don't like, you're just going to say, thank you, Jesus, that you've already died for that specific thing. And just whisper it out. If you want to do it out loud, more than a whisper, I'm fine with it. see that truck on Saturday and see Jesus' triumphal procession and He's just carrying all the spoils of darkness. He's just carrying it with, with, with us as we worship Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is so powerful. This is so powerful because we're getting to understand the power of prayer in our midst. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And if you're if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus yet, there's gonna be an opportunity at the at the end just to come forward and we're gonna pray for you. Please don't go, don't leave. Just stay with us. This is so important. You even see the power of God at work before you get saved. Just stay with us, just stay with us. So I'm gonna pray now, and I want you to I want you to agree, and we're gonna speak into the spiritual realm. So I'm going to declare who Jesus is to the devil, and you can do the same. Because you are in this church, there is a covering. There are people that are praying for, for you every single week. We have a team of intercessions, intercessors, and they are praying for you. They're saying, Lord, please keep them safe. Please keep them under the bloodline. Please help people in this church to advance the kingdom of, of the Lord. So you are safe in this community. You are safe if you are connected to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I can come to you in your name, in your authority. I am in you. I am Almo Kennedy, and I am the pastor of this church. Nothing special, but you have given me authority in this church, and you have given me authority in this city lord and i say thank you jesus thank you that i'm baptized into your death but also into your resurrection thank you that there's no more shame there's no more guilt there's no more condemnation in my life there's no more sin in my life because of what you have done nothing because of what i have done but all because of you jesus and my utmost desire is just to please you lord And I want to speak into the Spirit's realm, Lord, and I ask that you give us as a church, give us authority to declare your goodness, to declare your kingship over George. So Lord, we speak now with one voice, in a unified voice, the bride of Christ, and we speak to all the evils in George. And we say, George is supposed to be a kingdom city it's supposed to be a prototype of what a city can look like if the full kingdom has come, if God's kingdom has advanced through this church and through all the other beautiful and amazing churches in this city. We speak to you, devil, and we say, You don't have any hold on us. You don't have any hold on the church in George. You don't have any hold on any of the churches, any of the believers in George, because Jesus has already dealt with you. On the cross, you are under our feet. And we declare that the God of peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under the church's feet. Under the church's feet, you are a no-show. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we speak to sexual immorality among young people and we say, stop it, devil. You will stop it in the name of Jesus. We speak against the curse that came through abortion. We say, stop it now in the name of Jesus. We speak to the curse of sexual perversions. We say, stop it now in the name of Jesus. We break it open. People will have a healthy relationship. Young people will fall in love and they will get married and they will not have any baggage. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for our children. They will grow up. They will grow up in this holy and healthy environment. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, devil, you have no hold on your church. We are a worshiping church. Lord, we ask you keep us under the blood of Jesus, but also that you empower us. You empower us with insight and with wisdom to take ground in this city. I pray for business leaders, Lord. I pray for people that are in schools. I pray for the education system. Lord, I pray for the people that are on social media. They will influence, but they will influence by the love of Jesus and the power of God. We are a worshiping church. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anything that you want to add, just start proclaiming that. Just say, Jesus, I also pray for that thing. I pray for my mother. I pray for my dad. Pray for that friend that you never think, never thought will get saved. Pray for him. Pray for her. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Let's worship Jesus.